This season is made possible with the generous support of the Kimmel Shatsky Traumatic Brain Injury Innovation Fund. Hello and welcome to another episode of Injury is Not Equal. I'm your host, Shaylin, from the Center for Injury Prevention at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. We're on a mission to uncover the truths and realities about injury risk and impact. We're laying everything on the table as we engage in critical conversation in hopes to change the narrative and raise awareness about health inequity in injury. We hope you'll join us. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. Traumatic brain injuries can be lifelong, irreversible, and often lead to complex cognitive, behavioral, and physical changes. These changes can have significant impact on activities of daily living, employability, and interpersonal relationships. Survivors of traumatic brain injury require specialized rehabilitation and long-term supports to improve recovery and outcome. In today's episode, I am joined by professionals Nicole Cross and Julie Osbelt, who will be discussing the importance of access to specialized services and neurorehabilitation for survivors of traumatic brain injury. Uh, we do a centralized referral system and navigation supports. So they don't need to do the searching. We're the ones that do the searching for them. We help them to apply to different organizations through a centralized process. We can help them identify and find the right place. And it's always good for them to know that there's someone on the other end to speak to and help them to navigate our complex healthcare system. And that's extremely valued by patients and family members who've, who've told us that on many times. That was Julie. Julie Osbelt is the referral coordinator with the Toronto ABI Network, which is largely intertwined with her role as the Toronto Central ABI System Navigator. Julie manages a centralized referral system for inpatient and community-based referrals across the greater Toronto area, which includes the City of Toronto and regional municipalities of Durham, Halton, Peel, and York. The GTA contains a population of over 6 million people. So for more than 20 years, actually, the Toronto ABI Network's mission has been to provide leadership to advance equitable, accessible, responsive and quality care for persons living with the effects of a brain injury. And our primary function is to act as a centralized point for referrals and navigation. But we also have some project leadership, performance measurement, and we do some education as well. But what's interesting is we're comprised of publicly funded organizations that ex exist across the brain injury care continuum. And together we work to facilitate um, navigation and access to specialized brain injury care. The membership um, includes acute care hospitals like Sunnybrook, um, as well as inpatient and outpatient rehab facilities like Toronto Rehab University Health Network, as well as community service and support agencies, such as Community Head Injury Resource Services, which is a short form for CHEERS, CODA, PACE, March of Dimes Canada, and West Park Healthcare Center. And so the ABI network has like a bird's eye view of the whole system. So we can monitor how well it's meeting the needs of individuals with brain injuries. 
And we can do this by collecting and analyzing data on referrals, wait times, and patient flow, but most importantly, through our daily conversations with service providers and individuals and families impacted by a brain injury. And just to note, um, our, our network manages over 1,000 referrals a year, and we support over 1,100 calls per year as well. Navigation and referral support from centralized systems, such as the Toronto ABI Network, is so important in helping brain injury survivors and families access specialized services. We wanted to know more about how specialized care and neurorehabilitation really benefits brain injury survivors long-term. Um, one of the big pieces that we know in kind of the literature and the evidence that we have is that actually access to that specialized care and neurorehabilitation after injury is as important as having had access to those neurosurgeons and the specialized hospitals like Sunnybrook um, in your recovery. That was Nicole. Nicole is a colleague of mine on the trauma services team and works as the clinical outreach nurse for the Neurosurgical Education and Outreach Network. Nicole acts as an ongoing support for interprofessional teams at non-specialized centers and works closely with Julie to support patients and families with system navigation and access to specialized services and programs within the community. And so there's lots of things in our system in terms of making sure that people who need care that's specialized from a neurosurgeon and a team of allied health at a hospital um, to ensure they get here quickly and receive the care. Uh, but it's actually just as important to ensure that people are supported in, in after their acute care stay to make sure that they have access to that rehab and those community services and supports, because really this is a lifelong injury and um, some of the challenges of living with these injuries don't necessarily present themselves when they're staying in the hospital and they can really present themselves when people are trying to return to their families and their work and you know, navigating their day-to-day -day life. And so it, people really need to stay connected to those supports as well. And really the injury impacts the entire family. And so it's, it's not just ensuring, and, and the, the people that they care about and, and care about them. So it's really not just about ensuring that people who've experienced these injuries have access, but also that their families also and friends feel connected to these supports as well. Excellent points, Nicole. Um, I think that with specialized uh, neural rehab, you know, the programs, they align with ABI practice standards first off. And so because of that, there's, a, you know, a really important look towards focusing a lot on executive functioning for individuals right in rehab. And that's not available in a general rehab program. And they also have access to addressing cognitive and communication impairments. And then they also have a lot of education about brain injury for the patient and the families. So all of these things, as, and as well, specialized rehab have behavior therapists, and then, you know, they can provide behavioral strategies to families that can, you know, definitely alleviate concerns on discharge or neuropsychiatry, access to neuropsychiatry um, for involvement for patients that have dual diagnoses and neuropsychological assessments help guide that return to work school with a modified plan in place for employers and educators to better understand their needs after the brain injury. 
so all of these things are, you know, really important if someone's going to be getting back, returning to work for their, um, you know, social, economic, and psychological outcomes, because they want to get back to to, to who they were, um, at the best in their ability in their their new their new person. Um, I think what's interesting too is that these specialized programs are really do have a focus on. Um, making sure that they're connected to community ABI programs, like Nicole mentioned, after discharge, because the brain injury doesn't end on discharge. It, in fact, is lifelong. And so it's it's really key that, you know, these individuals are linked to ABI community services to receive case management, ABI adult day programs, attend those programs, perhaps if they need behavioral supports, et cetera. Um, you know, someone that may not have specialized care, maybe just went to a general, um, say, outpatient rehab program, they may not know when they're going back to work, their deficits, and it could be quite shocking for them, and they may not be as successful in their return to work. Remember Steve from episode one? Steve spoke to us about his lived experience entering the workforce for the first time post-injury. Steve experienced challenges with cognition and memory that didn't fully present themselves until Steve began working after his injury. Steve spoke about his need to step back from work and engage in more specialized rehabilitation following these challenges in the workplace. Um, I did have an interesting experience with a patient once that was discharged from a facility that wasn't specialized and in neural rehab and the, um, once the patient was discharged home, the family had a lot of difficulties with behaviors that they did not know anything about. And the behaviors were so strong that they ended up taking acute care, a different acute care hospital. And this hospital, he was admitted to a psych unit. And so they ended up contacting us at the network and we were able to problem solve and do through consultations on this complex case figure out how to navigate to the most appropriate ABI community resources on discharge. And so that for this case, it was behavior outreach support and case management. So like, this is just an example of how it could have happened differently if there was, they knew to refer to ABI specialized resources. So just as an example. Julie's patient story shows us just how easy it is for someone to get lost in the system and not receive that specialized level of care they require. They might find themselves in a completely different area without the appropriate treatment, diagnosis, or support they need for optimum recovery and rehabilitation. As discussed, there are a number of specialized services in the greater Toronto area to support rehabilitation for those with acquired brain injury, but the ability to access these services isn't the same for everyone. We asked Julie and Nicole about some of the challenges and inequities that come along with accessing these programs. So yeah, so many people struggle with the navigation piece, but if you layer a cognitive impairment or whatever else might be present, so for example, English as a second language, um, a developmental disability, um, dealing with elderly caregivers, it's extremely difficult for individuals to find the services that they need. So that's why a centralized place for brain injury across the GTA or a connection to provincial contact is critical to level the playing field on an equity level for access. Um, So a lot of programs do have very specific criteria and that can be a challenging part. Um, The ABI network does have 
the criterion that you must have a, a diagnosed brain injury in order to, to partake in the um, ABI services that are available. Some of the other programs are criteria around age or geographical catchment uh, or the number of years post-injury for some clinics and even outpatient rehab. And then some programs um, focus on like the severity of a brain injury. So there are concussion clinics that will only see mild TBI or concussions or other programs that will only see an individual that might have a moderate or severe brain injury. So all of these can um, roll into a, a little bit of a complex complexity and also sometimes challenges with accessing services. Wait times, unfortunately, in the publicly funded sector are also very much affected um, in the sense that it's, it's very difficult to wait for six months for outpatient rehab, which is the current wait time. Um, if you can imagine being discharged from the hospital, like the, the optimum time is, is shortly, like is early on. And so to wait is, is very challenging. And then some of the other, some of the case management programs in Toronto, if you're in downtown Toronto, it's up to a year to wait for a service like that. And so what's happening to these individuals while they're waiting? Because there, there are very few uh, or and or little fun, uh, little services available outside of their caregivers or their families uh, waiting for that service. Um, also want to mention like marginalized individuals. So, so individuals that might be homeless or at risk of losing housing, they can have a number of barriers accessing services. Even something as simple as like having a referral submitted. Um, they, they need to have a diagnosed brain injury, they need all that medical documentation. Um, and challenges with getting that referral, you know, there are housing workers sometimes, but there's a turnover with housing workers. And so it's, there's barriers just to get in the door at the, at the beginning for some, some individuals. And that, you know, there is a high prevalence of ABI within the homeless and justice sectors. And so they're, they need that extra support in order to access services. And there are barriers there. Some of them don't even have phones and some do have no access to technology. And so a lot of, you know, the service providers, if they do were, were to become involved, they do need to have um, those types of support. So caregivers can assist in some of those areas, but some of those individuals may not have caregivers for support. And if there's a turnover in housing, then that can pose definite challenge and sometimes they get lost in the system again. Um, I do want to mention too that, you know, if there are behaviors in the home, the behavior outreach team might work with the family and the caregivers if and, and the individual on the strategies, but if there are no caregivers available, that can pose a definite challenge um, for, and sometimes it can lead to uh, increased behaviors that could lead to the justice involvement. And so it, it, it can be, there are a, a number of barriers and challenges that can come. I do wanna just mention briefly um, a little bit about that the history of brain injury is a marker for symptom complexity. And, and we have a, a webinar on our website that um, we hosted with CAMH and uh, Cheers. It was about ABI mental health and substance use, partnering to support individuals with complex needs. It can be accessed by our website. But they talk about that 75% of people attending programs for concurrent disorders have a history of a brain injury with loss of consciousness. History of brain injuries associated with more and more severe psychiatric symptoms. History of brain injury increases the risk of suicide threefold and is strongly associated with social determinants of health, including housing, poverty, 
and social isolation. So there, there's, a, there's a lot to talk about here. I think really I, there's some also system level challenges in terms of um, what access do you have from a funding perspective? If you've been in a motor vehicle collision or if this is a workplace accident, your access is significantly different. And even just what uh, you have access to in the community is different. Um, and additionally, which we'll get into in a little bit is really around even some of our system policies like repatriation, those alone can create access issues for people just based on where they live from a postal code perspective. And Toronto actually has a bit of a responsibility for our local kind of provincial catchment to really support brain injury and those specialized services very broadly regionally up to, you know, we support here Collingwood um, even. So we do also have a huge system responsibility in the GTA to support people living in communities that have even probably less access to, to some of these specialized programs. So both Julie and Nicole touched on many barriers and inequities that come along with accessing these specialized services. In particular, we heard about the prevalence of brain injury among certain equity-seeking groups, such as those experiencing homelessness. As Julie touched on, a major criteria required to access these programs is a diagnosed brain injury. However, many brain injuries go undiagnosed, leaving certain populations at a disadvantage. Nicole, I'm going to jump over to you. Uh, I would love if you could provide our listeners with an overview of your current research that's looking at traumatic brain injury patients and repatriation. One of my roles here at the hospital is I try to support transitions in care for patients who are leaving our hospital specifically who've had brain injuries to go to other hospitals. So there are some rules in the province to make sure that people have access to the specialized care, that when someone doesn't really need that care day to day anymore, they return closer to home. And it's also often better for families and patients to be closer to home because these injuries, people can be hospitalized for a long time. And so part of my role is to really try to support that transition because we know there's a lot of um, risks when somebody is leaving one team and going to another hospital. And so there has been some research that has come out, particularly in Europe, that really talks about how one of the most important things as well in accessing services is that your team that you're working with of allied health and um, healthcare professionals, that they have the knowledge of pathways of care and how to access that. And so one of the challenges is, is if you are leaving our hospital because of your postal code, you know, in Collingwood or in another city, the people that are going to be supporting you in, in accessing these services may also not know about these services. And so we do see, we anecdotally see that sometimes people are discharged home without being connected or potentially not having gone to rehab. And so what we're hoping to do is we're actually trying to look at this group specifically who are being transferred from our hospital to other centers to see if they're accessing rehab the same way that other people are accessing. And we also wanna learn about this group of people. We suspect that they probably have more severe injuries because it means they're not ready to go to rehab from here and they need more time. But we also suspect that maybe they are less connected to these resources and services. And so we want to really just explore this group of 
people who've experienced a brain injury and really look at some of the things that might be barriers to them accessing these services. And we're just hoping to use this evidence to really drive the decisions that we make in our hospital and even in our province around how we support people in accessing this care. And when we think of the other pieces that can impact equitable access that Julie had kind of spoken to, they can be confounded by now that you've got providers that maybe don't have the same experience in brain injury, or even some of these centers don't have the same access to allied health. So an example could be that if English is not your primary language, and you've been sent to a hospital that maybe doesn't have an occupational therapist who is making those assessments for you, do they have access to good translation to really see that finite symptoms that you might be experiencing that would mean that you should have access to those services. So that's just something that we're trying to look at here. Thank you so much, Nicole. That's very important um, research that you're doing for sure, um, an important topic. And I think it gives, it gives us a lot to think about, um, especially us here in, in the GTA. We have a lot of very large specialized acute care hospitals that have very large allied health and interprofessional teams. Um, so even when you touched on that example of a patient potentially going to a hospital that doesn't have access to occupational therapy, it's not something I've even considered for myself. I, I just assumed that that was probably normal in most hospitals to have that type of professional there. And we know that all of those allied professionals are extremely imperative in someone's rehabilitation, especially with an injury like brain injury that is very long term and has huge effects on day to day activities, work, um, and so on. So really important key pieces. And I think the research is very imperative. And I think it'll really help um, with future decisions, like you said. Before we move on, let's touch on repatriation. For those who are unfamiliar, repatriation in the healthcare context refers to a patient being sent back to a hospital that is closer to their home after receiving specialized care at a hospital outside their hometown. As we heard, Julie and Nicole work together to ensure the repatriation process runs smoothly when an individual returns back to their home hospital. For individuals who are repatriated to their home hospital, like you said, you know, based on maybe their postal code being somewhere else, so they do get sent back to their home hospital where specialized acute care and neuro rehabilitation is not available, how does this impact the care trajectory for TBI survivors? Uh, so one of the big pieces is we actually have never really looked at this. So that's part of why we're doing this study is, you know, the the research I reference is actually a study from Paris. And so we've never really looked at this in our in our province, even though it's a significant part of our care and it's a significant part of our pathways of care. So that's really why we're trying to look at it. The other pieces we've kind of touched on a little bit, but really as we had spoken to about why specialized neuro rehab is really important and the specialized community services are really important, it's equally important to have that within an acute care setting as well. And so that you can make the appropriate assessments of where the best place might be for the person um, to continue in terms of their recovery. And from another hospital perspective, it can be very stressful and overwhelming to receive patients that have a lot of complexity in terms of their injury and a lot of complexity in terms of um, some of the other factors in their life that can make accessing these services really challenging. And so if you're not really experienced in navigating this system, it can be very hard 
to support people in their recovery and to help them kind of transition into more community and rehab programs. I, I think you you covered it really well. I, I know that those the sites that are outside of the GTA really do want the best for their for the patients that have come through, but a lot of them are not experienced in um, supporting, like you mentioned, the complexities. And so when I find when I'm having conversations with them about considering to apply to the ABI specialized rehab programs back in Toronto, I don't get a lot of um, pushback. Like they do recognize that it would be important. It's often the families that are not sure that they want to come back to the Toronto area, that they find the comforts of their smaller communities are nice. And so uh, on some occasions, I find that there's there's a bit of resistance that way. However, the hospitals, they are welcoming to any type of support. So I try to link them if there's behavior supports, I link them with individuals to have conversations about how to support the behaviors, if there's restraints, or um, they're trying to work towards um, having their patient get to that point of readiness for, for rehab. But um, we, we do have a process, it's called the early notification process that Nicole and I work together on, where she identifies to the ABI network when someone's being repatriated um, to their home hospital. And then I make an attempt to try to track them down and um, make a connection and offer the support on rehab readiness, um, referral process and, and anything. So I often just am leaving my contact information and sometimes I get calls back and sometimes I don't. We're, we're really trying to track uh, the patients as they're moving through the system. An interesting thing I heard um, get touched on is, I guess there there is that opportunity for those who do get repatriated back to their home to come back to Toronto and attend some of these um, specialized brain injury rehabilitation programs and services. And something that that I'm thinking about again is that is that equity piece, and that there there are going to be some individuals and families who who have that ability to come back to Toronto and can make that work, but there is going to be many populations who wouldn't feasibly be able to do that and relocate to a large city. And we think of the cost of living in a different city that's not your home, um, potentially not having your supportive family with you if they can't join you as well um, to access these types of services. Yeah, and we really know how important and we've learned this from the pandemic, especially, we really know how important it is uh, for people to have access to their, you know, family, friends, they're kind of the people that care most about them. And it really does significantly impact their recovery. And there are significant factors with the fact that you have such a specialized injury, and you've come to Toronto for your care. How do you get here from Barrie? If how do you get on the bus? Do you have a car? the costs of parking, even at our hospital are very expensive, even at the rehab sites, taking time off work, ability to commute two hours just to come visit. And so uh, people who have some of those barriers additionally, lose that support of having their families and their friends, and even the ability to advocate on behalf of the, their person that they care about who's experienced the brain injury, because they really they're not able to be as connected to the healthcare team and they're not as able to be connected to the person in their recovery. And even within the GTA, it doesn't have to be, you know, Barry, if a bus trip from Scarborough takes 
an hour and 45 minutes after work to come here and bus buses cost money. Um, people are less able to come as well. So um, there's even those elements that really impact somebody's recovery. Absolutely. Those were some really good points, Nicole, for sure. And I really like that you're touching on that importance of the caregiver piece with regards to the recovery um, and having that advocate there. That's that's super important. I think we we also we've touched on a lot with regards to traumatic brain injury and the fact that some individuals will experience different behavioral issues, different cognitive issues, of course. And so having that advocate there, someone who knows them, who's able to advocate on their on their behalf is is really important. And so I can see that being that being definitely a big challenge um, for some individuals accessing this care when they are um, not from within the GTA or even those who are, but still um, it, it takes a long time to be able to travel and access um, these different sites. Before we end today's episode, it's important to add that although many individuals and populations will have the ability to access specialized services, these services may not necessarily meet the needs of the diverse populations or different equity-seeking groups they serve. Healthcare cannot be a one-size-fits-all approach and must include culturally sensitive care that meets the diverse values, needs, and preferences of the individuals and families it serves. Thank you so much, Julie and Nicole, for such a great discussion around access to specialized services and neurorehabilitation for survivors of traumatic brain injury. And for the very important work that you do, helping patients and families navigate the system and receive the specialized care and support that they need. If you'd like to know more about the Toronto ABI Network, their website will be linked in the show notes of this episode. We encourage you to give our podcast a follow so you can be updated when new episodes are released. Stay tuned for episode three, where I am joined by guest speaker Lynn Hogg to discuss the intersection of traumatic brain injury and intimate partner violence.